Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news. This week, over drinks. What? <laughs> so exciting. I returned yeah. at the perfect time. <laughs> you okay, welcome, back. welcome back. Welcome back. Wait, wait, but it's, but it's still Lent. Yeah, well... Last week, you told me you couldn't drink during Lent. I know, but what's, what's Friday? St. Patty's. Yeah. So, which is when <laughs> our listeners will be. Hearing which is this. when people will be so hearing this. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. So, in solidarity with our listeners, or some of our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> we are enjoying a cold Guinness over this recording. Um, thanks to our our Jesuit overlord and the best boss of all time, Matt Malone SJ, who <laughs> sent us a special dispensation letter um, before this recording in which he wrote, I hereby dispense you individually from the obligation to abstain from alcohol for the episode of quote-unquote Jesuitical that will air on or around the 17th of March, 2017, the Memorial of St. Patrick of happy and glorious memory, longtime patron of our beloved Archdiocese. So, cheers, guys. Cheers. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, everyone. And back from Tokyo is Olga Segura. Hi, guys. Welcome back. We missed you. you. I missed you guys. It was hard to listen to episodes and be like, oh, I miss miss you guys, you know? But how was your Asian tour? It was great. It was pretty fantastic. I'm dealing with some jet lag right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was great. It's nice to get away from New York City and realize that New Yorkers are not the center of the world. Um, So it was cool. Yeah. All right. Later in the show, we're going to be talking to Father Patty Gilger about March Madness and whether Catholics should be watching sports. No. Watching watching (laughs) corporate schools take advantage of the unwaged labor of athletes. Yes. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Yeah. So we're not the only ones who got a dispensation for St. Patrick's Day. So this one doesn't really apply to me because I'm a vegetarian. But in 80 uh, dioceses across the nation, um, the bishops have offered dispensations so that people can eat corned beef um, in honor of St. Patrick's Day. so, will you guys be eating corned beef on Friday? <laughs> you know, I don't typically eat corned beef, but it's sort of like one of those things, well, since I can, I probably will. Yeah. I don't either, but I now that, I want to. Yeah, I don't know if that violates the spirit of the dispensation, but... Yeah, there there are like a lot of technical rules around this thing. So, in some places, if you eat the corned beef on Friday, then you can't eat beef on Saturday. And there's also a question of if your bishop didn't give a dispensation if you can like drive to the next diocese over and eat corned beef there (laughs) yeah wow okay you know there is this really great letter that floats around every year around lent uh someone rightly asks does alligator count as you know like fish so it's okay to eat or is it like normal meat so it's off limits and archbishop gregory m amond of the new orleans archdiocese clarified that Alligator is a magnificent creature that is important to the state of Louisiana, which is also considered So we should eat them. Seafood. <laughs> They're so important. Let's eat them during lunch. Um, so alligator's good all Fridays. Corned yeah. beef, only on St. Patrick's Day. Also, uh, in Ireland, they don't actually eat corned beef on St. Patrick's Day. According, mm. to, according to my sources, they usually have lamb or bacon. 
Oh, so we're not even... They also don't really celebrate St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Many people are saying this. (laughs) All right, Zach, what's our next story? So this Monday was the anniversary of Pope Francis being elected as Pope Francis. Uh, So it's crazy to think four years has gone by. Do you guys remember where you were? I do. I was at work. I was working at George Washington University at the time, and it came on, and I just stopped working <laughs> yeah we and watched, watched and immediately not immediately but soon thereafter that's when i signed up for twitter because i was like oh <laughs> i gotta follow this guy <laughs> okay you were here right yeah i was at our old building and everyone on the editorial staff gathered upstairs or where like the jesuits were living um and we just watched for i think that like, must have been wild i hadn't thought about that yeah when did people jesuit realize pope that it was here? the first jesuit pope I think immediately because it was a room. There was a room full of Jesuits, so <laughs> it, it, it was it was pretty immediate. Um, but it was interesting because it was the first time I had been up to that part of the Jesuit community, and mm-hmm. just to kind of awkwardly sit there for this great moment um, was fun. So yeah, it's been four years since we've had Pope Francis, and lots of memorable moments. Yeah, yeah. And w- one of the most recent memorable moments was this interview that he gave to this German magazine, where he talked about the big news was he sort of signaled this openness to letting priests get married. Um, but also within that, something that I found like really, really nice is that uh, he, you know, was really frank about in his own life, having moments of spiritual darkness. So if you, I mean, I know I've experienced this where times where like your prayer life is super dry. You don't really, you're not really feeling it. Um, and it's just like really comforting to know that the Pope also has been there. So four more years, four <laughs> more years. <laughs> Last week, the House Republicans made good on their campaign promise to introduce a repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and what they have now is the American Health Care Act, which was heralded as a act of mercy um, by House Speaker Paul Ryan because um, it gives people more choice in choosing their health insurance. It's the first thing <laughs> on my mind when I break my leg is... Do I have enough choices about where to get this fixed? Yes. So he called it an act of mercy. Um, Representative Joe Kennedy III uh, gave a pretty pointed rebuke to his fellow Catholic in Congress, um, calling it an act of malice, not an act of mercy. Kennedy said, I was struck last night by a comment that I heard made by Speaker Ryan, where he called this repeal, this repeal bill an act of mercy. With all due respect to our Speaker... He and I must have read different scripture. The one I read calls on us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to shelter the homeless, and to comfort the sick. So Comfort them with boom. options <laughs> for access. Options for access. Yeah. So, I mean, so, since uh, the House Republicans introduced the bill, the Congressional Budget Office has said that within 10 years, 24 million less people will have health insurance because of this. Um, and I know I've, I've gained a reputation around this office as <laughs> a defender of Paul Ryan just because I, you know, think he has good intentions m- much of the time. But this is pretty much in- indefensible. Even people in his own party aren't defending this bill. So. Yeah, it's tough to, <laughs> tough to stand up for making a 65-year-old person with $25,000 of income pay $15,000 for health care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they could choose not to. They could. <laughs> yeah. They could choose to drop their coverage. Right. That is true. All righty. What's next, Olga? 
Okay, so according to those who work in exorcism ministry, there's a mm. rise in demonic activity. I what? told you guys, <laughs> if this is your first time listening, you have to go back to our last episode where we've already gone over this. <laughs> Don't talk to demons. Don't try to get them to mess with Donald Trump. Don't try to get them to mess with your ex. Don't try to get them to mess with your bully. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't talk to demons. Well, Father Vincent Lampert apparently agrees with you because he says that the problem isn't that the devil has upped his game, but more people are willing to play it. Where there is demonic activity, there is always an entry point. Yep. So Dang. When you're at your friend's house and someone pulls out a Ouija board, break it in half. A Ouija board told me that I was going to go to UVA back in middle school when I was like, I'm definitely not going to UVA because that's where my dad went, but it knew. <laughs> you know what? I I, I kind of have to agree with Zach here. Um, if you mess with Ouija boards and things like that, you're kind of asking for yep. things to come into your space. And it's just, my mother never allowed them into the house because she's Good. a very Dominican Catholic. And her idea was, her belief was always that you will are inviting the devil in if you play these games. So I'm terrified of Ouija boards and everything. Yep. I take no pleasure in being vindicated. So I don't really want to become the <laughs> follow in Eloise's footsteps and become the resident defender of witches. So I'm going to just let you guys call a, call a W on this one. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Advancing to the next round. <laughs> but shout out to Eloise, though. Defender of witches. Eloise, don't worry. We're going to have you back sometime soon so that Zach doesn't have the last word on this. And so you can demonstrate all of your diverse interests besides witches. <laughs> <laughs> And now we're joined by Father Patty Gilger. He's the culture editor here at America, and he's also pursuing a PhD in sociology at the New School in New York. Um, so, Patty, I have purposefully put off filling out my bracket so I can just copy yours. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so, let's start with uh, who you have going all the way this year. Well, I'm a big uh, Big East supporter. I'm a big, like, support the conference that your team is in. So, uh, right. Creighton University has been my team since I went to college there. So, I'm going to support them. Um, and, and Creighton, you know, the, the most East of teams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are, there are the a, lot of, uh, a lot of old and tired jokes about the location of the Big East. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not tired of them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Villanova, I think think they're the best team in basketball. I also think they have one of the toughest roads to get there, but I'm going to pick them anyway. You you know, there's a Jesuit school that's a number one seed in this tournament. It's true. It's true. You're not going with the Zags? No, I have them in the Final Four, but I have them losing to Villanova in the Final Four. Gross. Okay. (laughs) Augustinians over the Jesuits. Yeah, Augustinians over Big East over Jesuit even in the end there. Maybe that's a little inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so, we thought maybe we could just start by you recapping the the top moments in Jesuit NCAA history. I would love to. Now, look, we have a long tradition of basketball and there are probably 25, 50 moments that I really should have listed here, but I'm just going to go with five and I'm going to try to do them quickly, but please interrupt me so that we can argue about these Great. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, let's do them in reverse order because it's always better to build towards anticipation. Number five, um, USF and Bill Russell, uh, maybe the best basketball player of all time, probably number two, going back to back titles, NCAA titles in 55 and 56. Also very cool because USF was one of the first schools to have, um, black and white players playing on the same teams as Loyola Chicago did at their title later on in 63. So number five there. Number four, 
This is a great story. Marquette's on here a couple of times. I'm a Midwest Jesuit. Marquette, uh, famous coach Al McGuire, is the last coach in 1970 to decline an NCAA <laughs> invitation. <laughs> he said no to them in 1970 and went to the NIT. Wait, why? Uh, so this is why, because they were the number eight ranked team in the country at that point, and they got a really bad regional location, and McGuire was tough as nails. He was like, he said, oh, you guys are not going to give us a good location? I'm going to the NIT. <laughs> and the president of the university famous Jesuit president in our province, um, Father Rayner, called Al McGuire and said, Ali, you really sure you want to say no to this? This is the bigger deal. And Father, and, and the response was a classic response, Al McGuire, to Father Rayner. He said, uh, Father, I don't hear confessions. You don't coach this team. We're going to the NIT. <laughs> did they at least win the they NIT? Did. Okay. They did. They won the NIT. Jeez. It was great. Okay. So, you know, a long time ago. But that's an all-time moment. Number three, um, the classic Georgetown going to the t- t- title game three years in a row. Patrick Ewing, yeah. Alonzo Morton, Dikembe Mutombo winning it in 84. Awesome. Number two, Marquette again, their 77 championship. Um, a wonderful story there, again with Al McGuire. This was his final game he ever coached as a, as a uh, college basketball coach. Um, his line after winning, and he's sitting on the bench crying. Um, and he's guys a tough-as-nails guy sitting on the bench crying. And uh, they go to interview him after the game, and he's like, street fighters like me don't usually end up in lace. It was like, what a great, oh, what a great line, right? And then number one all-time, um, this is easily a number one. I will not accept any arguments I, about I it. I knew this one was coming. Creighton hitting. <laughs> 21 threes in a single game, including nine in a row against number four ranked Villanova in 2014. Doug McDermott, Ethan Roggy, incredible uh, win in that game, rolling over them in Villanova. Great game. Where Great were game. you? Where were you for that game? I was uh, watching that game at home in Omaha when I was working for Creighton at the time. Just been ordained back at the school, having a wonderful time watching this. I get a text from all my family members who are season ticket holders to this, and they're saying, "Are you watching this game right now? It's amazing!" <laughs> like, oh yes. Oh, man. So I'm really offended that you left off. You mentioned it, but it's not on the list. The 1963 championship by Loyola Chicago. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. The only school in Illinois with a title, which is remarkable. Yes. Yeah. No Um, University of Illinois, no DePaul. No, no. And there is a lot of great things that happened, as you mentioned, with racial integration on that team. Mississippi State was forbidden to play Loyola Chicago. True. True. um, Because they had four black starters. Yes. And so... The team literally had to sneak out of the state, basically, to go play mm-hmm. Loyola. So why are you a Loyola fan again? Well, not only am I an alum of Loyola Chicago, but I have a special connection to the team as their former philosophy tutor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot you were the philosophy tutor. Yep. So I've taught Kant and Derrida to Loyola Chicago's basketball team before. Incredible, yeah. Yep. The difference what? between a good team the, and a bad team. Right, the difference. <laughs> oh, God, that's that next level. Can sports, uh, from a Jesuit angle, are sports becoming an ideology or a religion or maybe a golden calf in this country? I mean, look, I'm a big sports fan, and I'm going to say yes to that. <laughs> there uh, maybe some self-reflection. I need to do a little examen, consolations and desolations, as you guys will do later. But... Uh, I notice in myself, like if there's a big football game, okay, look, no, here's a very practical example. I had literally signed up to say mass for my community this Friday afternoon. Now, guess who's playing the NCAA tournament Friday afternoon? Creighton University. I went and erased my name on the board. (laughs) I said, sorry, dudes, I'm not saying mass during that time. I will not be in the chapel. I will be in the TV room. So yeah, definitely. There's a competition for priorities there. Um, It's not all bad, though. It's not all bad, though. And, and this is the thing, is that uh, we want to say two things about it. 
Um, the first is this, that one of the reasons liturgies are important is because they gather communities around certain sets of ideals. And what's the ideal that a Roman Catholic liturgy ought to gather people around is we want to become a community of self-sacrificing love. Mm -hmm. What sports can gather people around is not necessarily as healthy as that ought to be, as a liturgy ought to be. That doesn't mean it's bad. And especially from our perspective, like an Ignatian perspective, a Jesuit perspective, we really believe that God is always already active before we show up on the scene. And that means he's always act, always already active in sports and in the communities that are built there. And then, you know, look, in the constitutions, Ignatius uses the phrase, encourages Jesuits, encourages and our, our colleagues, Ignatian colleagues, to, to have holy rivalries that uh, encourage us to competition towards holiness. Sports can definitely do that, and communities of sports can definitely do that. I know at least a few of us around this table are competitive. I don't know how often <laughs> those co those competitions are, are holy necessarily, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so Pope Francis backs me up. He gave a, a speech to a Italian sports club uh, last, last year, um, and he said... Sports are good. They give dignity to people, but it's important to give equal dignity to all sports yeah. in, in his context. He's talking about people being obsessed with soccer to the disadvantage <laughs> of all other sports. True. Um, yeah. So let's talk about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I do play soccer, though. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, I like uh, what you were saying about community, Patty. I went to Fordham, and I had friends who were on the football team, yeah. and one of the things that they loved the most was that they were able to play with these guys that, you know, they had gone to high school with. And That's they got right. to continue sort of building this home on campus in a world where, like, they knew no one, but they had these teammates. I don't like to share this too often, but I was a collegiate athlete. I was on the school Quidditch team. And I, yeah. and I, I would... That's a real sport. Don't laugh. No. Well, people would say, like, oh, isn't that a made-up sport? And I would always respond, all sports are made up. <laughs> Social constructivism on the radio, uh, yep. on podcasting. <laughs> but yeah, would have loved to see anyone, friends or otherwise, show up to any of those games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we go back to my bracket, though? Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Patty, do you ha is there a particularly Ignatian way to fill out a bracket? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I wish I could say yes, but I'm not sure. There How really much is. discernment okay, wait, wait, wait. goes yeah. into? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, copying a Jesuit priest's bracket is yeah. pretty Ignatian, so that's, that's <laughs> how I'll do that. See, I used to I used to copy Obama's just because he seemed like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, but Trump refused to fill his bracket out on television this year, what? so <laughs> I won't be able to copy the president. <laughs> you know, I saw um, I saw actually Steph Curry from the Warriors filled out his bracket online today, and I was really pumped because he had Creighton going to the Sweet 16. It's like, all right, so go. many experts picking against Creighton in the first round. No, Sweet 16. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's the... I've got a Jesuit matchup in the Sweet 16. What is it? It's Xavier and... Uh, hang on, I tweeted about it. Sorry. <laughs> I forget who they play. Yeah, Gonzaga Xavier in the Sweet 16. In or no, eight. for the Elite Eight, yeah. So I've got an Elite Eight Jesuit matchup. I'm calling it here. So how do you decide between the two? How would you decide between the two? Um, I would definitely decide for Gonzaga because they're way better at basketball this year. <laughs> I don't... Sorry, <laughs> Father Eric Sundrup is making an X and then a box. <laughs> XU. I, I, XU? He's a Xavier grad. That? Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were Xavier. throwing up the Bronx sign for a second. <laughs> but okay. Good to know. <laughs> well, Eric and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. And so uh, the Creighton Xavier games have uh, turned into, you know, friendly, quote, rivalries. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, what about what about betting on uh, tournament games? Is that is that cool for Jesuits? I'm totally in support of that as long as it doesn't get out of hand. Like, okay. yes, I will put money on an on a bracket this year, <laughs> but like you know, twenty bucks, like something like that within the within the realms of poverty, of that's course. Right, that's right. The money I'm not spending on a scotch, I will spend on. Yeah. <laughs> so, is there an Ignatian way to fill out a bracket? I mean, in some ways, uh, yes, but in some ways, I would really say there's a difference between uh, making a decision and doing a discernment. And um, to do a discernment, you really have to be making a communal or an individual decision between two goods about your own state in life or course in life. So and Gonzaga Xavier does not count as you know, two uh, goods. It's obvious that Gonzaga is the better good. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, it's just that uh, it's just that this is not this you is not no influence control. our state in life. You know, yeah. so it doesn't lead us closer to God or further away from God and those kinds of things. Now, if you're deciding whether to go to exactly. Gonzaga or Xavier. Exactly right. That would be something to definitely do to determine about. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So we like to ask all of our guests, we forgot last week, but we're oh. bringing it back this week. <laughs> if you could canonize one person, if you were given that power, living or dead? Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day? Yeah, Dorothy Day without question. Um, I try to go over to the Catholic Worker every week. Um, the Catholic Worker, an organization that she and Peter Morin founded um, a number of years ago. They're houses of hospitality that serve the poor and work for justice around the country um, based in Catholic social teaching. I go over there to say Mass and I go over there to serve the homeless pretty regularly, as often as I can, not as often as I should. <laughs> And it's incredible to be there with them and to still see the way some of the people there knew Dorothy and talk about her and uh, remember what she was like and share stories about her. And this is the thing is that, you know, she was very clear um, that she didn't want to be dismissed as a saint uh, because she didn't want people to be able to say this was impossible. And it's not. It's possible for all of us. But the reason it's so hard is because it costs. Like, you know, what's going to happen if you decide to follow this path is that you're going to have to stop doing some stuff that you want to be doing. You have to start doing some stuff that you're not sure you're going to love doing. And it's going to cost. But it's worth it. Like, this stuff is worth it. Leon Bloy was right that that's the only tragedy in life to not be a saint. Amen. Thanks, Patty. Thank you, Patty. Thanks for joining us and for being our expert on all things March Madness. I feel so pigeonholed in that, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for some listener feedback. Our first uh, email comes from Peter Gilbert. Um, And he writes, I discovered you from the endorsement of one of my favorite podcasts, Unorthodox. Ours too, Peter. Um, As someone who's raised Catholic and is working on eventually converting to Judaism, scandalous, I know. Eh, it's not that scandalous. With my mother and brother being Catholic, I feel that this keeps me in the community and up to date with aspects of the world more relevant to the rest of my family, even if they are not wholly relevant to me. Thanks. Thanks, Peter, for writing in. And thanks for listening. Yeah, Thank glad you. we can keep you relevant. And yeah, let us. Let I'm, us. Or I'm glad you think we're relevant. I'm always struggling to be relevant with my sister and mother too, so I can understand that. Our next letter comes from Stan Levinson, who writes, I've long been fascinated by various peoples and trends within the church, having spent most of my adult working life with Latinos, especially Mexicans, and having forgotten but read tons of literature in Spanish. Being of a rather ecumenical bent spiritually, Stan finds himself fascinated by figures like Meister Eckhart, Thomas Merton, Thomas Keating, Jim Finley, and, of course, Pope Francis. So I am interested in, in so he goes on to say, I'm I think interested he knows in, about Catholicism than I do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> He listed a few names that I, didn't, I had to Google. Yeah. 
<laughs> so he goes on to say, I am interested in seeing and hearing what young spiritually oriented Catholics have to say these days. Well, we hope we can continue to provide that for you, Stan. Yes, yeah. you've come to the right place. All right. Should we move into consolations and desolations? Sure. Uh, okay. So my consolation and desolation this week are kind of the same thing. Mm. Um, so as you guys have mentioned, and since I was missing in action for recent episodes, I was traveling for a few weeks. And it's always exciting because, you know, I get to break out of the New York bubble. I'm very much that typical New Yorker who thinks the rest of the world is looks like where I'm from. And then you step outside of that and you realize it doesn't, you know. Uh, but it's also very difficult to try to balance actually being away from the office and trying to maintain this sort of work-life balance while you're gone, mm. you know. And it's something that I have not mastered yet because um, it's not like I'm choosing one evil over one good, you know. Like these are two very important parts of my life and I have to make a real conscious effort to kind of be like, you know, you need this time to be away, but you also want to be with your co-host and you want to be a part of this, you know. So it was something that was very kind of overwhelming while I was gone. Um, and we missed you yeah we're, we're glad to have you back yeah i miss yeah. you guys too yeah i only cried once while i was gone <laughs> <laughs> just <were>. kidding <laughs> but not really <laughs> all right let's hear it zach yeah so the northeast was pummeled with a snowstorm this week and there are a lot of feelings and emotions that get, get evoked around a snow day um and so you know we had a we had a work from home day but um, the reason this was consoling, a consoling part of my week was that my sister's actually in town and uh, my roommate got the day off. And so we were able to sort of like channel that snow day feel from oh, childhood and all and like sort of all set up on the table and work together. And I, lo- I love coming to work here and I love co- my coworkers here and we have a good time. But it was nice to like spend the day being productive with them. And I was super thankful to be in a place where, you know, our employee safety was, you know, paramount to all being in the same building. <laughs> right. Like I texted one of my roommates and it's like, oh, subways are closing at 4 a.m. for above ground stops. And he just responded, my boss doesn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to like awful. walk to the closest underground station, which was like 30 minutes away oh to make it gosh. into work that day. So I was also thankful for that. Thanks, Osha. Yes. <laughs> Ashley, how about you? Um, yeah, so my consolation this week is I went home to Virginia. Uh, it was for my grandpa's 90th birthday, which is a consolation in itself, but Ooh, happy much, birthday. <laughs> like Olga choosing between good, two goods. I had two goods this weekend to choose between. And on Sunday, um, I went to, or no. So on Sunday, I spent time with the kids of the refugee family that my parents took in. Um, uh, Hasib and Lema are five and seven and they had never been to a American movie theater. So me and Ooh. my uh, my sister and brother took them to see the latest Lego movie. Oh, is it awesome? <laughs> it's oh. so awesome. This is too cute. <laughs> I need to see that too. And I mean, besides the movie being awesome, it was really good for me to just see them be so excited about this thing i've done a million times um and it was you know just to like get them popcorn and candy and coke and see them enjoying it was was really wonderful we <laughs> we you know we got there for the previews and at the end of the previews Lema, the five-year-old girl was like okay so is it over <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, no, it hasn't started yet. 
Yeah, gotta love them previews. <laughs> so that was just a really beautiful, great experience. Um, so my desolation is kind of weird and meta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so for the show, we came up with the concept of constellations and desolations, where you look back and see where you found God and where you didn't. And I find it really hard to do this. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's really about prayer. Uh, so what I'm saying is I'm finding it hard to pray in this way. I sort of found myself having a lot of empathy for every priest I've ever known who gave a bad homily that focused on, like, their personal anecdote and never made it larger than that, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times they shade into, like, here's what made me happy this week. Here's Eyes what made lows. me sad this week. Right. Yeah. right. Um, Ignatius had something different in mind, I think. Or at least we've been told. So <laughs> so stay tuned. We hope yeah. to be getting better at this. And hopefully, like, you, hopefully the listeners themselves can, like, try to model this too. Um, so we're excited to go on this journey with you. Yeah. yeah. And if you already know how to do this, please email us and give us some tips. Yeah, or let us tell know. Tell us where seriously. you found God this week or didn't, you know. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation is provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult Supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. Beer by Guinness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes which will become relevant again in what three weeks whenever, yeah. whenever christ is risen <laughs> and tell us where you found god this week at jesuitical at americamedia.org also also please subscribe on itunes yes. yes and please leave us a review yeah it's really important it is how people find podcasts um and the algorithm gods really only care about whether you have stars and reviews yes so. and i am super vain if for nothing else than zach's ego please subscribe, please please review, please follow us <laughs> also tell your friends yeah yep all right until next week i'm ashley mckinless with zach davis and olga segura with america media thanks for listening bye <laughs>